morning, everybody. <coughs> well, before we have our reading, um, I want you to prepare for the sermon, and this is what I want you to do, okay? I want you to think of a person uh, who is someone uh, that uh, you find really hard to get on with. Okay? Don't all look at me when you're thinking. <laughs> Somebody who stretches your goodwill... Somebody who maybe takes advantage, somebody whose contribution hurts you, somebody uh, who you are, find it easy to draw uh, unkind uh, conclusions about, are judgmental about, okay? The sermon, which may be lost on you anyway, will be in totally lost if you don't have somebody in mind in that category, Okay, They don't have to be somebody that you've got you know, a bitter uh, controversy with. It's somebody you would really rather not meet. And when it comes to coffee afterwards, if you see them coming towards you, you have a, an urgent call to the toilet or something like that. Okay, So think about that person. And now we'll have our reading. Charlotte. The reading today is taken from Hebrews 4, and it's starting at verse 14, and it's found on page 1204 of your pew Bibles, if you want to follow along, church Bibles rather. Jesus, the great high priest. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to feel sympathy for our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, uh, Charlotte, before you go, just stay there. One thing I find, it's a short reading, okay, and one of the things that I find is that if I read it a second time, I discover all sorts of things that I didn't know were there in the first time, because you're just absorbing, you know, the words and the like. Okay, so could, could you read it again, Charlotte? Yeah. And, and uh, as we're going through this, think, why on earth have a reading like that when we're talking about healthy relationships? What is there there that could possibly be um, uh, worked upon? Okay, thanks. Jesus, the great high priest. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to feel sympathy for our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Thank you. You are dismissed. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, we'll come back to that passage, but we're dealing with uh, healthy relationships today in our series. We're uh, uh, re-entering after the Christmas period the issue of um, uh, current cultural issues in a changing society and how our faith should apply to them. And today we come to healthy relationships. And I can tell you without fear of contradiction that this will be the best sermon of the decade you've heard (laughs) so far. It'll also be the worst, 
the longest, the shortest, the boringest, the most interesting, and anything else. And if you manage to keep away from church for the next ten years, it'll be the only sermon that you could even have any chance of remembering. Okay, healthy relationships. What we need to do is to establish, first of all, are healthy relationships uh, important? Secondly, has anything changed in society that makes healthy relationships more under threat? Thirdly, what does the Bible have to say about healthy relationships? And fourthly, what are we going to do about it? First of all, then, um, uh, are relationships important? Here's a quote from the homepage of the Mental Health Foundation, which is a government-funded body concerned with the rising element of uh, mental health difficulties that people have. It says this, Relationships are one of the most important aspects of our lives. People who are more socially connected to family, friends, or their community are happier, physically healthier, and live longer with fewer mental health problems than people who are less well-connected. So it's interesting that on the home page of mental health, relationships becomes a dominant issue. Okay, next question. So what's changed? I mean, have relationships not always been important? Doesn't uh, our culture, uh, uh, from its very beginning, value relationships What is the changing there? Again, if you go to this Mental Health Foundation, there are uh, six things that they say which show that healthy relationships are more under pressure now than they were a generation ago. First of all, one in eight or 86%, no, seven out of eight, uh, 86% of people report that they have someone to rely on in times of stress such as a family member, spouse, or friend. That means that one in eight don't have any such people. And the surveys that go on from time to time show that that percentage of people who don't have a close relationship is on the increase. Secondly, how we interact and form relationships has changed considerably over the past decade. And here are some of the factors. The evolving family structure, which is much less stable than it was, or much less... Uh, uh, monochrome with all sorts of relationships changing within the family the development and reliance on online technologies which we'll come back to longer working hours people having to travel much further and therefore spending more of their time away from their natural community and uh, uh, even before they've got to their work community and changes in how we define community Is community just local, or is it people of our own interest group, or whatever? And this means that we uh, are going to uh, find that uh, uh, relationships will never be the same again in terms of that contextual point. Then there's the young people. In 2015, 43% of young people aged 10 to 15 in the UK reported having been bullied. And of those... 29% reported that they self-harmed, 27% skipped class, 14% developed an eating disorder, and 12% ran away from home as a result of bullying. Bad, unhealthy relationships. And then there were suicidal thoughts, use of addictive substances, and risky behaviours. Fourthly, the importance of community seems to be diminishing. If you ask 75-year-olds, 73% of them will say that the community is an important element of who they are. 
If you ask the same question of those who are in the 16 to 25 category, only 42.5% reckon that community is important. Relationships are important. Fifthly, moving away from one's hometown, family and friends, means having to adapt to a new physical and social environment. In that context, one of the biggest challenges facing individuals when they move is building relationships and connecting with others. You lose your early friends and it gets difficult to make new ones. And finally, there's this point about social media. Uh, Now, social media does mean that you have more friends if you're on Facebook than you've ever known about because anyone who's connected to you is a friend. But it's not the same as having a personal face-to-face relationship. And um, uh, the Mental Health Foundation says the neurochemical response that occurs during face-to-face interactions contributes to well-being, which doesn't happen if you just click on somebody's um, uh, connection on social media. So there's quite a lot of evidence that healthy relationships are living in a much less healthy environment uh, than they were a generation ago, and there's any evidence that that's going to continue into the next generation too. So then what are the characteristics that we should be looking for in a healthy relationship. Just think to yourself, what, what adjectives would you use to describe a relationship that you've got that is healthy? Now, I'm going to mention some. There are so many that uh, it's not worth trying to be comprehensive on this. So you will have some in your mind that I don't mention. I will have some here that you didn't mention. And don't worry about that because healthy relationships have got lots of characteristics. But as Christians, we have an unfair advantage on people who are not Christians. And that unfair advantage is that we have the perfect human being who models for us what a good, healthy relationship is. Around Christmas time, we remember the incarnation. And Jesus is the incarnation of what God intended us to be when he created the world. Jesus did not just give us teaching, he gave us a model and an example. And we can follow that. Of course, he did far more than leading us an example, as we know from the cross. But uh, one of the things that he did was to demonstrate what a healthy relationship looks like. And to be human is to be relational. I am a person because of other people. And uh, Jesus uh, models that. So let's go through some of those that I've, um, I've uh, picked out, perhaps at random. The first is that it, it, a relationship that's healthy is an authentic relationship. A relationship in which you can be yourself, where there's honesty and candor. You don't have to put on a display because that relationship accepts you for who you are. Jesus, um, in the... Uh, uh, interaction with the rich young ruler who came saying, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus loved him, the passage says, and then he told him the truth. He said, one thing you lack, go and sell all that you have. Authenticity allows us to be honest with one another. Now, I I have a number of people uh, in this church with whom I have diametrically opposed views. I hope you're not all thinking I'm talking about you now. Um, But I am still friends with those people because the friendship 
allows me to be honest and allows them to be honest about uh, what they think. And the friendship endures and perhaps deepens because of that rather than is pushed apart. But authenticity, authenticity also involves sharing our vulnerability. We don't need to put on a brave face. Now, there weren't many times when Jesus shows his vulnerability, but if you go to the Gethsemane Garden, there, Jesus, the leader, who had to be strong for everybody else, said this. He said to the disciples, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. So authenticity is just being yourself with the other person and not being concerned that by being honest, you're going to drive them apart. But then if authenticity is about uh, how a good friend expresses himself, then acceptance, which is the next point, acceptance is another characteristic. And this is how you regard the other person uh, in the relationship. Jesus said to the woman who was caught in adultery, neither do I condemn you. Jesus was not approving the behavior of the woman. He wasn't condoning it, but he was saying that he was not into condemnation. He was not judgmental about that person. He didn't draw quick conclusions. When he was at the, uh, uh, on the cross and there were those gathering around him uh, to put him to death, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus recognized that for those around the cross, there were influences in their past life, in their present circumstances, which caused them to be the people that they were, unattractive, of course, but he understood where they were coming from. And that's what's required for us as well. Forgiveness and acceptance and looking behind the actions to see what might be causing it. One of the saddest conversations I had recently was with somebody who was talking about their relationship with a close person to them and they were saying, I cannot forgive them for what they've done. And therefore the trust would never be restored until the forgiveness and the acceptance of what had happened uh, was put behind them. And if you can think of uh, a hard relationship, going back to what I suggested at the beginning, uh, where there is difficulty because you cannot forgive that person, then that's where you need to start in order to restore a healthy relationship. So authentic, accepting, loving. Now you could just look almost anywhere for um, references to Jesus and his love, but it, it says in uh, John 13, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And that loving characteristic uh, links in with faithfulness. He loved them to the end. He loved them right through uh, their failure to follow him um, at, to the cross and to betray uh, and to deny him. Okay, we've got two more characteristics and then we'll move on. The, the next one is sacrificial. The nature of a relationship with somebody is not just what you can get out of it. Uh, and a good friend will do just anything for the other person who is part of that friendship. They'll probably do it for other people as well, but, but uh, here we're focusing on the nature of friendship and uh, good relationships. And um, Jesus said, Greater love has no man than this, 
that he lays down his life for his friends. Now, sacrificial sounds rather virtuous. You know, I'm being sacrificial in my friendship. It doesn't feel like that. If you love the person, you do it, and indeed it would be a sacrifice not to be able to help that person. So therefore, it's like a, an opportunity to give. I don't feel like um, a, 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 a hardship at all, but it's a not, not, not an exploitative relationship where you're trying to get only what you can out of that friendship. And then we come to the last one, and this last one we're going to be following through and may give you a clue as to why we had the Hebrews reading. A good friendship is empathetic. Empathetic, not sympathetic, not feeling sorry for the person down there, but living in the shoes of the other person. One of the wonderful things about um, uh, uh, the word for the Holy Spirit is that uh, he is referred to uh, in the Greek as the paraclete. I have to say it very carefully so you don't think I'm talking about flying uh, birds. Uh, The paraclete is the one para who comes alongside uh, the person um, that uh, uh, it, it refers to. And the Holy Spirit is the one who comes alongside us as the one sent from God. And here you have the Hebrews verse that we had read by Charlotte. We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Jesus came into our circumstances. He put himself in our shoes, and that's what a good friendship does. You're prepared to understand uh, from the person's point of view why they're reacting in the way that they are. Okay, so uh, we've moved from uh, analysis now into application, the so what section. And there are the two applications that we'll consider today. The first concerns our community as a, a group of Christians together in St. Paul's. Because if we believe that our community is a model of what God intended the human race to be, we should be asking, does our community reflect those characteristics that Jesus demonstrated in his relationships with others. And here's a range of questions that we can ask ourselves. Okay, first of all, is there a depth to our relationships? Sunday attendance is good. But if our Sunday attendance is simply one of a number of relationships that we've got and we go off to U3A or to to, um, uh, the rugby club or whatever else it is, If it's only at that level, it's not modelling the depth of relationship that God wants us to demonstrate uh, and which, by the way, by demonstrating, attracts other people into the kingdom. And here's an opportunity. If you're not a member of a small group, whether it be a life group or some other group where you meet and uh, 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 intimately get to know other people, why not try it? There's an enigmatic reference in the notices to the next steps. And beware, because one of the next steps may be just having a taster with a small group. It's interesting, we visited a number of people who, are mem- who were members of St. Paul's, and, and when we asked them, or they offer it, when we asked them what they uh, regret about moving away from St. Paul's, for all sorts of other reasons, they've gone you know, geographically elsewhere, time and again... It's the experience that they had 
in the small group. You know, they love the worship, they love the, uh, you know, the sense of being part of a large community, but the thing they remember is being together and sharing in a small group. So that's something that uh, is a, a delight for you to come if you haven't already uh, experienced it. Is there a readiness to sacrifice or to serve, especially uh, um, of time, though not necessarily taking on a job title? Are we prepared to give, or is this one of those relationships where we come to receive and then we go off? I don't know. Have we got uh, coffee organized after the service? I know that I was told that there wasn't anybody on the rotor. There's a volunteer. Excellent. If you've never done it, it's not very difficult under leadership to serve a cup of coffee. So that's an opportunity now. Beware, of course, because if you are ready, then they'll say do it again, but never mind. (laughs) Is there empathy with difficult personalities? Empathy which goes beyond just the uh, tolerant avoidance. I think there is some evidence in our church, actually, of only meeting up with the people that we naturally like meeting up with. Um, Getting close to the bone, maybe. After um, we uh, meet up in coffee afterwards, just look around. This is, I, I perhaps shouldn't say this because if you're one of these people, you'll think they're all looking at me now. But there are some people who find it difficult to relate. And uh, they, you know, they used to go and look at the notice board or do something which didn't actually um, draw attention to the fact that they're not talking to anyone. Are we prepared to put ourselves in their shoes and to um, deny ourselves the pleasure of just being with the people that we like and getting out and meeting other people and showing them friendship? And are we ready to speak the truth in love? Um, It's said that Christian employers are the worst employers because you don't discover you're doing a bad job until your job disappears because nobody could actually bring themselves to tell you that you should be improving. Well, there may be something about that in a church situation as well. Okay, but when the answer to these questions on the screen is yes, then outsiders have a glimpse of the kingdom of heaven and they want to join. So that's evangelism working in a way that's not an obvious giving out of a leaflet. Okay, now the second application is more personal and individual. Did you notice that the examples that I gave of Jesus' encounters with people was often with what we might call broken people. Uh, There was the rich young ruler, there was the adulterous woman, there were the soldiers at the cross. Jesus does not give up on people with messed up lives. You could argue he came from a line of messed up people. Look at David's example, one of his forebears. So he knew by his humanity what was in his genes that there were imperfect people. He didn't give up on them. He didn't write them off. So how can we do something in 2020 that gets closer to his example? So to get into this, let's start with an American social researcher called Brenny Brown. Anyone heard of Brenny Brown? Nobody. Oh, one or two. Excellent. Well, there are people who find her, this is her, as a sort of guru in terms of relationships. Um, And uh, one of the pieces of research that she did was to ask the question of people, do you believe in general that people are doing the best that they can? Ask yourself that. Do you think 
generally people are doing the best they can? Or do you immediately think, well, I could have done a better job than that, or they should be ashamed of themselves? Now, don't worry about being in the minority, because the answer is 50-50. Apparently, she's done thousands of uh, uh, these questionnaires, and 50% of people say uh, they are doing the best they can. People in general, it's a generalization, I know that. Uh, 50% say no. They could do better. Now, this is where we come back to the bit. Have you thought about your person? Okay. The person you find just a bit difficult to get on with, the person you try and avoid, you know, be very happy if uh, they were written out of your lives, not in a hateful way, but, you know, you just don't have much time for them. What if God came alongside you this morning, whispered in your ear through the paraclete, the one who comes alongside, they're doing the very best that they can. With the cards that they've been dealt, they're doing the best that they can right now. Now, whose verdict would you accept? Would it be yours? Because you've got them in front of you and you can make an instant uh, decision on what you can see. Or would it be God's? Who knows all about their circumstances and their background? And I think just asking that question forces us to put ourselves in their shoes, to see them as Jesus sees them, to empathize. And if we do that, if we do give the person the benefit of the doubt, then that might change some of our instant judgments that we make about people. It might make us less quick to judge the reckless driver who cuts us in who's also got <coughs> immense pressures um, with his job on the line. It could make us make a different view of the person in the coffee shop uh, who has verbal diarrhea and has nothing to talk about but herself when we recognize that that person may be lonely and have no one to talk about, talk to talk to. It could give us a different conclusion about the sullen teenager who seems not to want to communicate at all, who is going through a period of desperate insecurity. It could give us a different view of the abrupt and rude man who is living with chronic pain that's apparent only to him. It could give us a different view of the hopeless addict who's grown up in, a, in an abusive household and has had no models of worth. There's a nice illustration of this in our own family. Pam has been uh, writing to uh, somebody, uh, a relative, um, uh, um, uh, every month because she knew she was going through a hard time and um, getting no response at all, to which the answer is, okay, we'll stop doing it. But she... Um, she took the um, decision that she would contact another member of this broader family just to find out how things were. And here came the answer, which is interesting. Uh, she's not contacting you because she's ashamed. Shame doesn't make sense. But she had obviously had a difficult period of time when Pam was present. And she couldn't bring herself to accept that uh, this friendship was uh, anything other than 
um, something that she should spurn. So if we can think about people who are reacting badly and think, okay, what possibility could there be that they're not doing that just out of a, an act of spite or an out of, uh, of not thinking about things? Now, it won't necessarily excuse their behavior, nor will it make them likable people, but it helps us to understand what has made them the people that they are. Maybe the shame, maybe the addiction, maybe the upbringing, maybe the abuse, maybe the role models that they've had. And it could just turn our negative reactions into a positive reaction of wanting to grieve for them, to grieve for what might have been and to accept that for better or worse, this is how they are. And that, in turn, might lead to compassion. And that, in turn, might lead to them being able to come out of the hole that they have dug themselves in. So as we, we're closing now, but we'll just have on the screen some of the steps you might take with that person that you've been thinking of that may help you to have a relationship with them which will be healing for you and healing for them. Picture the person. Assume just for a moment that they're doing the very best that they can. Ask God to help you to empathize that more is going on than you know and give God space to speak. And then perhaps to grieve for their lives, for what their lives could have been. And then to accept them for who they are, not on condition that they change, but even if they don't change, accept who they are and ask God to increase your compassion and enlarge your love. I think that's worth just a moment of quiet reflection. So take your model, your example, and just go through that process of asking God to help you understand them in the way that God understands them. Let's uh, follow that through as we sing together. Let's stand.